podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's Steve Bloomers washing. Welcome. Thank you for lending us your ears off the back of an up and down fortnight for Warns Rams, which saw us make it seven games unbeaten following two more wins and a draw on the road. But Derby still appear to be struggling for consistency. A professional, ruthless, clinical away win at Blackpool being followed days later by that limp, complacent, Disappointing draw at rock bottom, goalless, I repeat goalless Cheltenham last weekend, uh, meaning the top six is still proving out of reach for now at least. Uh, Loads to chew over then going into the October international break. I am Chris Parsons and I'm in the company of a returning SBW panellist and a pod debutant with us for this episode. It's a warm welcome back first to Ollie Wright from Derby County Blog. How's the uh, 23-24 campaign treating you so far, sir? Hey, what, mate? Um, well, it's a funny one. It's been stop-start for me personally because um, one thing and another, cancellations, home stuff, work. I've only been at two of the home games so far, so I don't feel like my season's got started. I don't feel like Derby's season got started either. Um, it just, it's like you said, it's been so stop-start. It's, it's been kind of... A step forward, a step back, although Paul Warren didn't seem very happy when uh, Dom Dietrich suggested that after Cheltenham. He's like, was this a step back? And he didn't seem very happy about it, but it was. So, yeah, it's just it just feels like we're on the cusp of hopefully starting to get going and we just haven't managed to do it just yet. And obviously the Blackpool one, which I'm sure we'll talk about, felt like it could be the kickstart and then obviously we go on and flunk it at Cheltenham. So, yeah, we're still waiting for something to just click i think and uh, we're delighted to have a new voice on the pod in the shape of lifelong ram phil heil evening phil good evening gents how are we very good it's a pleasure to uh to have you with us we almost always uh do this for new pod guests as a sort of corporate cheesy intro style icebreaker so phil tell us a fun fact about no i'm only joking don't worry <laughs> uh what's your derby story phil how'd you end up supporting the rams then first game was the 4-0 loss at home to Leicester in the 97-98 season for the season I'm actually wearing this top four. The four goals in 15 minutes game. It was, yeah. And then kind of been going, pay my pe- penance ever since, really. Because <laughs> I often say we've been rubbish since 99, haven't we? Um, relatively. Broadly, it's been a, a relatively steady decline, yeah, with the odd peak. <laughs> Yeah. And plenty of troughs. Um, you were telling me before we recorded, you did make the, the Carlisle away trip, which as a, as a fellow uh, London-based Ram, that's a hell of a journey for you, isn't it? Yeah, it was a long old poke. Um, I went up to my mum's on the Friday and then she kindly uh, lent me her car and me and uh, we, me and one of my brothers made it up. And I just remember we got past Preston and my brother just turned to me and went, Phil, this is too far. This is way too far. <laughs> Um, but we got the uh, we got the three points. So I, that wouldn't have been a nice journey coming home if we'd uh, failed to get that. But um, no, I ticked that one off. It was a decent little away day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, look, boys, we're seven games unbeaten at the moment in uh, in all competitions. But uh, Ollie, HMS Pista League, as I'm going to keep referring to it as, is still <laughs> very much yet to set sail, isn't it? Why does it feel like it we're just not consistently performing at the moment? Well, seven games unbeaten sounds really good, doesn't it? But then when you break it down, it's probably the worst seven seven game unbeaten run you can imagine because two of them are pizza cup games, which okay, the, the, we won them, but it's it's not as important as as the league. And then three of them were draws. Two of them were home draws. Uh, one of the home draws we conceded in the last minute of injury time. And then the other one was a nil-nil with Cambridge. And then obviously the other draw is 1-1 at Cheltenham, who are so League 2, uh, you know, it, it's unbelievable. So that that in itself felt like a defeat. I kind of think you kind of 
alluded to that in your intro, Chris. You know, it's it, it was not a good. You know, you, normally you get at a waypoint and you can you kind of, especially if you come from behind, you say okay, we we take it and move on. But it was just because it was the sheer kind of fact of how behind league one level they are it just felt like we'd lost because everyone i'm sure probably the players probably warned assumed that we would smash them you know I, I kind of said i don't mind if they get the first goal so long as we you know they can have one for every five we get and you know it was complacency maybe but I just, everybody just thought we were going to win that uh, so yeah for saying seven games unbeaten it's only actually two league wins in that so that's probably why it doesn't really feel um, anything like as uh, as impressive as that sounds when you say it. I'm going to give a shout out to Kutch at this point from our previous pod as he did pretty much predict this would happen. Uh, we talked about Blackpool away and Cheltenham away and said that four points would have been good. Uh, and he did raise the possibility of us beating Blackpool and then failing to beat Cheltenham. Uh, let's remind ourselves of exactly what Kutch said in our last podcast. Four points in those two games. You'd be well up for that, wouldn't you, Coach? I imagine. Yeah, I'd be bang up for it, Chris. I mean, a point away from home is, you know, the way, well, it depends which way it falls, right? You beat, you beat Blackpool away, I and mean, then you go and draw with Cheltenham, you'd be pretty upset, I think. But um, if, if it's the other way around, I think that would be good. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> Phil. It's jinxed us. We sort of called it there, but um, how did you feel after that Cheltenham game? Were you upset yourself, or did you take it on balance of the four points from two, uh, two games? No, I think the lack of intensity was the worrying thing for me. And in a poor worn team, that's got to be a non-negotiable. We, Especially first half, there was just no bite to us. They were beating us to the second ball. The ball was just moving so slowly. I know Warren tried to blame that on a dry pitch, which I think is a bit poor. And it doesn't matter if it's Cheltenham and they've got one point and no goals. You've got to be at them, you know. And I thought I was... So encouraged in the Blackpool game. I really thought we were going to be straight in their faces, you know, get an early goal there and we we should we probably would have wiped the floor of them. But we were kind of lucky to get that goal just before half time, weren't we? You know, they, they'll be fuming that they didn't defend that set piece. It's nice to see that we are starting to threaten a bit more from set pieces. That is something Warren's uh, hanging his hat on a little bit. But yeah, it was just the intensity, which isn't really forgivable, really. When we, we don't knock the ball about that well, we don't, you know, possess massive amounts of quality so it has got to be high pressing high intensity lots of graft and there wasn't enough of that for me in that Cheltenham game yeah Ollie I I feel we do have to we don't always analyze in deep detail goals that Derby concede because a it's quite depressing and b we'll be here all night you know but look it was literally Cheltenham Town's first goal of the league season um we have to put it out there so look let's take a look at it I mean, for me, it is just a catalogue of very avoidable, sloppy, complacent mistakes, really. Like the, the, the ball's bouncing around and Nyambi, who we have to say has been really good in general, does this odd header towards Fauna to try and get Derby back on the ball. Fauna, again, someone else who has been relatively good of late, uh, then just takes far too long on the ball. He does have the chance to to get rid, to shift it, doesn't seems to dribble across our own box with players closing him down, which is just sort of naive. And then once we are dispossessed, we don't really seem to do enough to to get goal side of the cross. Nelson is on his heels and he's let Robert Street get in front of him for the uh, tap in at the back post. I mean, do you think that goal that we conceded was a little bit symbolic of the fact that we were just quite complacent in that game against Cheltenham? I mean, it was like you just you've just described it. It was a horror show. It was like a horror show in sort of slow motion, wasn't it? And it was a real nasty. I think you, as you've you've rightly said, Fauna's done well. He's he's he's, in, he's encouraging signs from him, but I do feel like he's not the finished article, which I guess is why he's here. But it's not the first time he's made mistakes, and unfortunately, I don't think it'll be the last. Obviously, he gave away the penalty as well. It's nuts. He was yeah. He it was just that's just to get. He, he's he's got good attributes, but I think that's just a kind of a, a nous thing where you, you you've got to know when you can play and when it's just too risky to play. And he tries to, he tried to back himself and kind of back his own kind of composure and strength on the ball. And it's like I can get myself out of this situation. And he just runs straight into the trap. And and the next thing you know, it's in the back of the net. And I suppose all I'd say is that Fauna, when everyone's fit, is probably like fourth choice, maybe centre foot midfielder, maybe even fifth. So. It's, it's, it's easy to read too much into an isolated incident. I think, 
it was just a really, yeah, it was a dreadful goal to concede. It was a really poor one. And uh, like uh, Phil said, we were quite fortunate to get in at 1-1. But having done that, we absolutely should have built on that and gone and, and gone and smashed them up. And we just didn't do it. Phil, it started to look a little bit like, uh, you know, Portsmouth and Oxford are just pulling away a bit at the top of League One, aren't they? They're five and six points clear of third respectively, uh, you know, look, Derby uh, within touching distance of the top six, but are you getting at all concerned about our promotion chances after those results or is it just too early to read into it in terms of how the final table might shake up? It is too early, but I do think those two are going to be in contention. They'll stick it out. I think those two are going to be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. I don't think there's anything to say that we won't put a run together, like seven unbeaten, with a bit of luck, I think it's easier to be more reflective given our results at the minute, but they could have easily turned into more wins. You know, the Pompey game, Cheltenham, Cambridge, but it's coulda, woulda, shoulda, isn't it? I, d- I would not write us off having a- another run like we did last season. I think our squad's going to help w- uh, us with that massively. But Oxford and Pompey, they've both come to our place this year and got positive results and they both dominated the ball. And I don't know if that's going to hurt us throughout the season that we don't seem to be able to do that or we don't want to be able to do that with our tactics. And they've both they've both got managers who want their teams to do that. Um, and I think that's a little bit frustrating. And hopefully we can find a way to win at home because with those, these tactics we have, fans are going to get restless, aren't they? I mean, I don't go home very much at all, but I do know a, a fan that told me he booed after the Fleetwood game, which I don't, I don't I, he did it tongue in cheek. I don't necessarily agree with that, but he had obviously people turning to him and why are you booing? We just won. So, but well, did you see that? Did you see that game? <laughs> but this is the way Warren wants to play. I think our squad can get results. I think it will get results, but we, we need to sort that home form out and we need to, you know, start turning some of these draws into wins, don't we? A few uh, five word reviews then from, uh, from Cheltenham. Again, lots of these. Again, not many positive ones. <laughs> so our Twitter users, I'm still going to call it Twitter, of uh, reviews of Cheltenham Town 1, Derby 1. Uh, Nikki B said, Warn risks losing the fan base. Uh, Michael John says, the underdog mentality, not enough. Uh, Sunil said, predictable Cheltenham would score today. Uh, Marsha said, in League One for years. <laughs> um, ben Hewitt said, worn out Frank Lampard in. Steady on, Ben. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, what else have we got here? We've got uh, David Walker, was always going to happen. Steve Bowler, this squad should do better. James Hudson, draw that feels like defeat. And Andrew Clamp, why change a winning team. So uh, yeah, definitely a lot of fans not in a good place about this team and a manager at the moment. But Ollie, look, it, uh, most recently there was more good news. A, a very decent, solid, respectable win in the uh, EFL Trophy against Notts County, um, who, you know, let's let's have it right. They were a team that absolutely did the business in uh, at the top of the conference last season, which to be fair is two leagues below Derby. But even so, they're not a they're not a bad side. Um, so I don't know. I did have a bit of a wry smile, Ollie, when the club tweeted how Louis Sibley's double had put Derby on the cusp of the last thirty-two of the EFL Papa John's Trophy. How how excited are you by that prospect? No, I'm not at all. But I know that um, I asked my mates in our sort of Patreon WhatsApp group, and they were all like, "Yeah, let's have let's have a day at Wembley," you know. And if you can get that far, then lovely. It's uh, it's great. Um, my personal view is it's a sideshow, and I, I'm not really that that fussed about it. But you know, fast forward a few months, if we we're at Wembley, then obviously I'm going to be there, aren't I? So I think just building on a couple of things that Kutch said actually, which is an excellent, obviously like perfect uh, description from the past um, which is applicable now but um, if we'd have switched around the results clearly probably everyone would have had a better vibe but also if we switched around our home form and our away form then probably everyone would have a better mood music about it as well because everyone would have seen some because away from home we're the highest scorers uh, and at home we've only scored four in five so if you switch that around and we're banging in loads of goals at Pride Park you know I mean all right we've gone and beat Notts County but probably in front of you know 
500 people and a dog you know what I mean it's like what whereas 25,000 are in for nil nil against Cambridge so it's I think that it's yeah home form is absolutely fundamental we should be we should be able to turn teams over at Pride Park as well so there's there is and I think Phil touched on it with the tactics as well with the way that we play I'm starting to feel like the way that we play suits playing away better than it does at home and I think that we may need to adjust it tactically a little bit and probably be a bit more patient on the ball because away from home clearly teams are going to come and have a go at you a little bit more in general obviously Cheltenham didn't but in general they will and so you've got more opportunity for those lightning counters but whether you're at home Virtually every club in this league are more than happy with a point from from Derby, let's be honest. So they're all going to sit in, they're going to camp, they're going to make it very difficult. They're not going to gung-ho at you and they're not going to give you the opportunity to fly down the, the flanks, which is obviously the, like Phil was kind of talking about, was the warm, the warm style is get it wide, get it in the box. And unfortunately, that approach just isn't working. You know, the, the lack of goals at home is horrendous really uh, whereas away from home we're obviously we can't, we are carving teams and we are scoring a lot heavily I think we've still scored in every single away game which is good going but unfortunately until we can find a little bit more subtlety I think in our play at home we're going to be held back because it, it's easy for, I think for teams to set up and defend deep against us the way that we play at the moment and that's what they're doing and they're stifling us and frustrating us Phil where do you stand on the the league versus cup debate I mean as we said there we did joke about it but it could be a trip out to Wembley if Derby make it far enough I mean do you care much about the cup runs or is it just a bit of a distraction to the the bread and butter of uh, of the football league as Brian Clough always used to refer to it as I think we could do with it this year because we've got quite a big squad haven't we so he's going to need to keep them all happy and I was encouraged by that last night I mean Louis Sibley a friend said to me last night is the Papa John's Pele isn't he <laughs> Every time he plays in that cup, you start to believe the hype again. So I, I'd quite fancy a day at Wembley. I mean, I always remember, I think it was two seasons ago now, it was Newport v Rotherham. And they had on the back of a pizza delivery moped, uh, Paul Chuckle and Tim Vine, who were Sutton, Sutton and Rotherham fans. So I always think, who would be on the back of our moped? Would it be Jack O'Connell or Robert Lindsay? Or that, or that porn star guy in his, uh, yeah. and the guy, the guy from One Direction. Um, <laughs> Let's have it right. It'll be Kutch. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought we played quite well last night. I know it was only the Papa John's, and Sibley does flatter to deceive. But I'd love him to get a run of games in that ten because yeah, we we like to get it wide. I think Mendes Lang is shattered, playing all through summer. He's so tired. I don't think I think his fitness it started to wane at the back end of last season anyway. And he's our best outlet out wide. If that's our main tactic, like Ollie said, we're going to need to come up with something else. And Bird and Sibley are probably our second most creative players, but they play the better centrally. I guess Barkhouse and, you know, it's good to have him back and fit as well because he's a good asset to have definitely in this league. So I just think, yeah, we, if we can start playing through the middle and if this is the Papa John's is a chance for these kind of players to get back to fitness, then I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. More in a second on Steve Blimmer's washing. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Blimmer's washing. Martin. Low. And again. Delivers with his weaker foot, Patterson. Martin! Out of the wilderness, onto the score sheet, Chris Martin may well have salvaged Derby County, the most unlikely of points here. One thing we should touch on, Ollie, is of course from the Notts County game, the return against Derby of David McGoldrick, uh, who didn't score or do anything good, which was a relief in some sense. <laughs> um, it's just a bit of a weird one, really, wasn't it? Because he was so important for Derby last season. I'm just curious as to how you both felt watching him play for another team. I mean, I didn't, I can't really say I enjoyed it uh, because I think he definitely did have another season in him at League One level, but left for personal reasons but it didn't really bother me as much as I thought it would probably because he didn't score but he seemed to get a pretty 
generous reception from the uh, 2000 plus traveling derby fans how did you feel about seeing seeing someone of his caliber lining up against the rams well i'm not surprised he got such a good reception because obviously he earned it because he was magnificent last season and i think i was thinking earlier if you put didsy into this squad i think it's a top two squad um but unfortunately we just haven't got anybody with his uh, panache really that x factor that just turns a game uh, we miss him horribly. You know, we won the game, which is really positive. And on Sibo, yeah, I love him to bits. And I'm, 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 everything's still crossed that he'll crack it this season. He might have to come into the game as a sub and then, you know, kind of uh, score and then force his way in that way. But yeah, like Phil said, if you can, there are certain players who definitely need the games who aren't in the team. Sonny Bradley's another one I think is worth touching on because obviously he had a nightmare start, but the Football League trophy is going to give him an opportunity clearly to to play the games, to play his way into confidence again. And, you know, if Sibley can bang in loads of goals, um, that's fantastic. And then um, others like Connor Washington, when he's back, might need a a run out in that, that tournament too. So yeah. And John Jules, when he comes back and tons of other players, as Phil mentioned, you know, because we've got, we actually have one once fingers crossed, everyone is fit. Then we should have some serious competition for places. Yeah. Phil on Sibley, he's going to have to be the Papa John's Pele for me for, for until now, until the end of time. That is magnificent. But a couple of people mentioned the, the fact that does he only really turn up when the pressure is off, you know, which I think is a bit unfair because he has chipped in with a few, important goals over the years like Peterborough at home the season we stayed up and Brentford during lockdown seems to remember got a brace away at Oxford last season uh, in a game we won there but on the other hand he's almost scored as many goals in the cups for Derby as he has in the league I think it would actually be equal if he took away his hat-trick against Millwall on his debut or whenever that was in his first few games I just feel like I've seen this narrative before Phil like Sibley has one good game, does something great, calls for him to get a run in the team. He does get a run in the team. He flatters to deceive. His form gradually dips. He goes out of the team again, rinse and repeat. And he just doesn't really feel like, it, it never really feels like he fully takes his chance. I mean, it's funny. We had a few uh, extra comments on this on Sibley. Andrew Woodman said, if we can give him some, if we can give him six games at number 10, he can maybe nail once and for all whether he's going to make it here. James Hudson said, he's really frustrating. The talent is there, but he's inconsistent. He should keep the shirt against Shrewsbury. He needs to perform in back-to-back games. And there's one more here from uh, Kane Tag on Twitter, um, who said, love the lad, but always feel like he's got more to give. It looks like he's playing within himself and the stupid yellow card will never be erased from his game either. Um, I mean, look, in this number 10 debate, there's already Waghorn and Bird. Is there room for Sibley in that conversation as well? There's always room for a Louis Sibley, isn't there? I mean, I think it never goes away because he's an academy lad who he loves Derby County, doesn't he? And when was the last time that a Derby County academy graduate came through who had any chance of establishing himself, who loved the club as much as him, maybe Chris Riggett? They're few and far between, and I think that's why it never goes away. In my head, obviously I hope he does, but I can't see him ever nailing it down. I'd love to be wrong, and I would be surprised if it happened. In his defence, when was the last time, like one of your uh, tweeters said, when was the last time he had five or six games at number 10? Because he scored in the cup earlier in the season, and then he got the next game, and then he was straight out. You look at Waghorn, he didn't score for five games, and then he finally got put out, didn't he? I think he does deserve a run. We're hardly prolific or no player, especially at home. I think he does deserve, I'd put him in a, if he's going to play three in midfield, I'd put him in the 10 role. Uh, I think he deserves three or four matches on the spin in that game. But let's be honest, I don't think Warren's having him, is he? The way he talks about him, just his demeanour about him. He always seems a little bit irritated every time he gets asked about him, doesn't he? He prickled a little bit at the weekend when he got asked by a local radio why he didn't bring him on, even though he's referred to him as the best finisher at the club and we needed a goal. And he he got a bit spiky about that. If I look into a, my crystal ball, I can see him scoring 20 goals with someone like Shrewsbury in three or four years in League One and having his career like that. I, I just can't see it happening, unfortunately, but... God, I'd love it to happen because yeah, the South Stand would be bouncing if he was 
scoring 15, 20 goals a season. We can all see we we can all see it, Ollie. We can all see what 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 he does. And when he does do something, it's always brilliant. Like the Brentford goal again, the Millwall hat trick, the Oxford double. Like he's one of those players who doesn't score ordinary goals. And maybe that, I don't know, slightly colours people's judgment on him. Um but look, I think what we've always said on this podcast is that if he is going to get that run, and maybe this feeds into why he's not a worn player, he's got to be he's got to be stronger. He needs to bulk up. He needs to be better on the ball. He needs to do more off the ball. Like what would you say Louis Sibley needs to add to his game to to make him that regular starter? Oh, well, it's consistency, isn't it? And I think I was just thinking actually when Phil was talking about him then, what I, I wish that at some point in the last four, three, four years as he was developing, he'd had a good half a season or even season out on loan where he'd just played regularly and gone to a club where he was going to be fully in the fully in the integrated into the 11 rather than being dipped in and out here and there maybe playing on the left which doesn't really suit him not really getting to play his best position even ended up getting shunted at left wing back at times where he tried his best but louis the left back was wild so he'll go and play anywhere you want him to, but you know, you're know you not going to get the best out of him at fullback, are you? I mean, it must be said, to be fair, that when he was at left-back, wasn't that, well. during, wasn't that, during, the, wasn't that during the unbeaten run, to be fair? Yeah. Although I don't yeah, know if yeah, that's yeah. because of him or just in spite of him. You know, I remember writing about that. It was, it was the most eccentric uh, back four we'd ever had because it was um, Louis at left-back, Corey Smith at right-back, Craig Forsyth, the left-back at centre-back, and then probably Cash, or I can't remember who, or maybe Kurt, I can't remember who, but there was one centre-back, one proper centre-back in the back four, and then two midfielders on full-backs and then a left-back at centre-back. So it was bonkers, but it worked for a while. You know, like Phil mentioned, he's not going to go and dive in and get a stupid booking, which he did last night against Knotts for no reason at all. He just went and nailed somebody like who was already out of play, I think. You know, it's just... He's a little bit tapped and that is always going to be, you know, a risk. He's always going to be a card risk. So there's always that that probably plays in manager's mind as well. So he's a, he's an enigma wrapped in a sort of sphinxy conundrum and he's, he's wonderful and I love him, but I don't know what the hell's going to happen to him. Yeah, no, me neither. I don't think anyone will ever know. It's a really curious one. Just going back to Didsy for a minute, well, I was really curious and it got me thinking as his reception was so good about other Derby players from yesteryear who've got particularly good or bad receptions when returning to the club. Um, I don't know, I just find it quite interesting. We put this one out before recording to our patrons um, saying, can you remember anyone who had a particularly good or bad reception? Um, (laughs) Someone mentioned Gary Rowett, Phil, and it made me think of the the inflatable snakes that some lads took to Stoke away. Uh, Do you remember that? Of course, yeah, I do. We got a decent payout for Gary Rowett, though, and I, I was never a fan of the football, so I was uh, quite happy to uh, get that one. To see him depart, really. No animosity from me. The game that springs to my mind, because there was two players and they both got different receptions, was uh, West Ham in 2000. We lost 2-1. One shot and Stimach both came back. One shot inevitably got both goals. He got booed, roundly booed, and Stimach uh, got a lovely round of applause. We, uh, we can be a fickle lot, can't we, with our receptions of players that come back. I remember Tommy Huddleston getting booed when he came back on loan with Wolves. He scored in that game as well, didn't he? he? Again, yeah. he scored, yeah. The yeah. nicest reception I remember anyone getting was Chris Powell when he came back for the first time with Charlton. He played quality and they beat us that day as well. But I remember him. He was, he was the current player of the year at that point, wasn't he? He'd won it the season before. I mean, how cynical a person do you have to be to boo Chris Powell? I mean, yeah, come on. True. Like, what sort of monster are you? The most hateful reactions I've seen. Stern John was bizarrely hated, wasn't he? Because he was naff for us. He came to us overweight, wasn't he? And he was ex-Forest. And then he, every time he'd come back to us at diff- various clubs, he'd score. I remember one against Palace. He had a thing of the season there. And we were 1-0 up and he got a late equaliser and he was getting pelters then. But the worst one, I think, was Lee Camp. For his first victory at Pride Park, and I sat in the North Stand that day, and he was getting absolute <laughs> dog's abuse. It went sort of full circle with Lee Camp, didn't it, Ollie? Because he got absolute pelters for a couple of years, and then the abuse got so bad, and the daddy <laughs> and the daddy's boy chance got so bad that he started to like revel in it in the end, didn't he? And it was like a good, honest back and forth in the end. Well, yeah, he started just like 
puffing his chest out and kind of strutting around, isn't he? And like kind of just like milking it a little bit and just rose to the challenge of it, which is credit to him, really. The one that really, I think, proves... Oh, Chris, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Chris Powell, Phil, because he's one of my all-time favourite Derby players in a lot of ways. I don't think Derby have had a decent left-back since, have we? I mean, sorry, apologies to Dean Moxie, but, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, it's he's, he, I don't think we ever really replaced him. I, I think... I, he could probably still do a job now, couldn't he? Magnificent player. Um, Marcus Tuke, because he proved that you can go to Forest and not be a knob about it. And obviously the game when Sean Barker got the terrible injury and he he helped Barker when he was down in agony and he was stood, sat with him waving the physios on. And I think he might have even got sent off in the same game if I remember correctly, and got applauded off, which I've never seen before and probably never will again. But yeah, he he managed to come back with Forrest and not get um, slaughtered, which is impressive. I did ask my... I've got a one, I've got a one or two patrons, not very many, probably not as many as you, Chris. I imagine yours is a, a behemoth compared to mine. But um, Chris, Chris Powell got a mention. Jamie Ward... Apparently, was I'm told was well received, but Jimmy Gregory says he he remembers Stevie Howard and Matt Oakley getting a full standing ovation, which would be deserved because obviously selling them was folly in the extreme. When Paul Jewell did that, it was kind of ripping the heart out of whatever sort of semi team we had. So yeah, quite right that they got a good ovation. Mark Poom obviously marked his return with a goal. <laughs> um, I mean, is that the only ever time in English football history when a returning player is? A returning goalkeeper has scored <laughs> a last minute equaliser and then been applauded by the home fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with, with Derby County, of course, we're the only club who that's going to happen to. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you yeah. know, it's, who else would it happen to? Uh, and um, there's a, a nice gag from Pete, my friend Pete, who said that he remembers a game against Burton where there were so many ex-Derby players that it was basically one long round of applause. I think that would have been Nigel Clough, Burton era, when he basically just sort of specialised in signing the Derby County team of 2012, kind of getting them back together, getting the band back together. Got a mention of Tom Ince from Pete Lee on our, on our Discord, uh, Phil. I don't particularly remember Tom Ince getting, getting abuse, but he's he sort of, it feels like his career almost peaks really at Derby. Well, he had that one half decent season in the Premier League at Huddersfield, but was he that hated? I didn't think he was. He divided opinion, didn't he? He was clearly very talented, his dad would always be hanging around the club. There's obviously the infamous 700 grand or whatever it was to his mum for that scouting list where Kylian Mbappe's name was on it. Could you describe him as a bit of a tart, maybe? Um, but yeah, he won a lot of games for us, didn't he? So I, 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 I personally, you'd have to do a lot for to get me to boo an expert. I'm trying to think if I have booed anyone. I think I was probably giving Campy boos that day, but like say he was giving the... Uh, Old pantomime villain, wasn't he playing? His he was role almost very asking well. for it in like a Neil Warnock, Robbie Savage sort of uh, esque way, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple more here. Paul Williams, apparently he got some uh, dogs abuse back in the day. Lots uh, of pelters, Paul Williams. Yeah, used to get, Robert yeah. Earnshaw, of course. Does he even really count as a Derby player given how small his contribution was in that <laughs> season? And I think, oh, Leon Osman, let's end on a positive note. I think he got a pretty good, uh, a pretty generous ovation when he came back and and to be fair he made an immense contribution in that one loan spell didn't he Ollie? Yeah I'm just my god yeah I'm just trying to think you know he's he regularly when whenever it gets asked who's the greatest loan loan signing we ever had he's always well up in the conversation for that isn't he and I can't can't think of many who've had a a bigger impact for us uh, on loan Uh, so yeah so one of those you always wish we could have signed permanently, but obviously that was never realistic where we were at the time. We're going to uh, move on very swiftly on uh, Steve Bloomer's washing for our final part of the podcast. But before we do, Ollie, I just want to run one past you. Uh, we are this week launching the SBW store. I'm sure you've been all across it on the socials. Um, I've got my own cheeky little range of Derby County beer mats in the public domain. Um, they've gone down really well. It's been It's been really pleasing, actually. I spent a lot of time designing these over the summer um so they're available from uh, stevebloomerswashing.etsy.com stevebloomerswashing.etsy.com uh there's like an aranio one in there jim smith um pride park the baseball ground and various others are there any particular players you'd love to see on a beer mat in the future 
Well, first and foremost, everybody make sure you buy Chris's uh, side hustle. He's got a baby to feed, uh, you know. So, <laughs> Glad you, you said know, that, not me, and, and, you know, he's got, he's got, you know, a family to care for and he's doing this out of the goodness of his heart. So, yeah, get behind, uh, get behind the lads. Um, beer mat players, who have you got on there? So, so far I've got Aranio, Bryson, yeah. Wanchop and Jim Smith. I'm thinking, here's a bit of inspiration for you, so I'm looking at... Maybe like a Chris Martin one, maybe yeah. a sort of like a like a Norfolk yeah. Stout theme. Yes, perhaps. yes, yes. Uh, maybe like an Idiarkes, some sort of rip off of like Australia, something like that. You know. <laughs> well, you want players who you can imagine actually drinking the beer that they are they are of, of on, and Chris Martin definitely comes into that equation. Um, a Franny Lee one would be nice. Maybe. Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's that because he's had a. He looked like a beer barrel, so you know that round chest of his. Um, yeah, you could go for some sort of golden rams like that, maybe, maybe a bit of a bit of an Alan Hinton vibe or a Roy McFarland. I'll do Franny Lee and just call it interesting, very interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Paul McGrath. Paul, I mean, maybe not Paul. Um, <laughs> the subtext isn't good on that one, is it? <laughs> Sorry, Paul. One of the greats. Yeah, Phil. Someone pointed out to me on the DCFC forum. Uh, that Keo does actually exist as a beer, K E O. Where's that from? It's for, is it from like Asia somewhere? Yes, I think oh, so. Okay. But I think for various reasons, I'm not convinced that's a good idea. <laughs> Again, very decisive, a divisive player that man, isn't he? Yeah, let's leave that there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, have a look at the beer mats. Uh, you can buy them if you like. You don't have to, but I'd be delighted if you did. SteveBloomersWashing.etsy.com. More in a second. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Mendes-Lang and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Morgan's clearance, Ben Davis first to it, struck goalwards and in! Oh, what a finish! And it's Jeff Hendrick, the man that missed the glorious chance earlier. My, has he made up for it with that sweet strike. Terrible defending by Forrest, Morgan's clearance was weak. Davis in there quickly to pick up the pieces. Hendrick said, this is mine, bang, goal! Ten-man derby take the lead with less than 20 to go at the city ground so chaps to round things off i just missed the one year anniversary of paul one taking over in our last pods it's now a year and a bit uh but i think it's still a valid topic of conversation so yeah he took over on october the 2nd 2022 and i'm just curious if you think we're a better side now than the one he inherited. I mean, look at it this way. The starting 11, let's do a straight comparison. Starting 11 for his first game, Cambridge away, of course, was uh, Wildsmith. Back three, James Chester, Curtis Davis, Aaron Cashin. Then in the middle, Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, Jason Knight, Max Bird, Connor Harahan, Tom Barkhausen, and then Lewis Dobbin behind James Collins with the subs who came on that day being uh, Craig Forsyth, Willa Sula, and Louis Sibley. Obviously, you have to mention that Didzy wasn't a team then, but wasn't quite fit to, you know, to, to start. And we all know what he'd go on to do. Compare that, Phil, to the Cheltenham team from the weekend. Wildsmith, back four, Fozzie, Cashin, Curtis Nelson, Ryan Niambe, then Corey Smith and Tyrese Fauna, then Mendes Lang, Waghorn and Barkhausen, behind Collins with the subs who came on, Bird, Harahan, Kane Wilson and Connor Washington. Do you think Warren's team now is better than the one he took over? It is, because let's remember that Rossini did a remarkable job to, you know, scrape together a squad from the bones of what was left over at the beginning of last season. But I will um, preface that with it's got, our squad at the minute has got a David McGoldrick-sized hole in it, obviously. And I think our season, as Ollie mentioned earlier, will be very different. But we've just got so much more strength in depth. We've got options now, haven't we? We just lack a nine or a 10 or a goal scorer or a match winner. You know, we can share it around Waghorn, Washington, Collins, and they're all, they're all passable. You know, they're, they're all decent for where we are in our situation at the minute. But I think they need, they need a David McGoldrick up there with them, don't they? You know, but overall, without doubt, we're stronger now than we were this time last year, in my view. Yeah, I don't think he's improved us aesthetically, particularly. Like, you know, we've had the odd flash of attractive football, like Peterborough and 
Lincoln in the cup and Blackpool, but watching us attack can be a bit of a grind at times this season, particularly as we've touched on when it's against teams who sit in, park the bus, come for a point, whatever you want to call it at Pride Park. Like, I don't think we're hugely better, but I certainly don't think we're that much worse, which a lot of fans on the socials do seem to think that the squad has hugely deteriorated. I don't think I agree with that. And I feel like it's easy to confuse unattractive football with football which doesn't work, which isn't functional. Like we are just about a functional side on our day. But yeah, look, Phil's hit the nail on the head. Didzy got us out of a lot of holes last season. And I think I actually counted it as being about 10 games in all comps last season where he scored one or more of the decisive goals in that game um, in League and Cup. And he look, he kept us in contention, you'd probably say more than any other player. And look, he's not here anymore. I'm just not convinced, Ollie, that we have, whether or not the squad is better or worse, we just haven't really cracked at all this formula of how to win ugly, how to how to deal with it when teams park the bus or, or when we're not playing well. And until Warren fixes that, it's just going to undermine our whole season, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, like I said, I was sort of said earlier. Yeah, I think we need to we need to look at the the approach at home needs to be looked at really. But what I would say in terms of squad building and squad depth, I think as Phil's pointed out, we have got a deeper squad than we had. Uh, and I think an important point to make is that what we've tried to do in recruitment is bring in young, a younger breed of players because when we were kind of trying to sort of build from nothing, we were forced to kind of bring in a lot of veterans on free free transfers and then basically sort of supplement that with very, very young players and there was nothing in the middle. So now we've got a kind of a gradually getting towards having a sort of more players who are either approaching, nearly approaching their peak or at their peak rather than being 30 plus or 18. So I think we're kind of trying to build a, a better profile of players, sort of, I guess you would put Forna in that bracket. Nyambe, if he stays, Kane Wilson... Callum Elder, and then some of the ones who are injured. And I think another point is that the injury problems have been really unfortunate and we've had quite a few players with sort of severe injuries as well. So we haven't really seen the best of any of the the new signings of one and the club made over the summer with the exception, I guess, of Nyambe. He's the only one who's come in, hit the ground running, been fit and just kind of slotted straight into the team. You know, everybody else who's come in this summer has picked up a problem or had a problem. So I think we, you know, we're still waiting to see Joe Ward play. We're still waiting to see Tyrese John Jules play. Obviously, Elliot Embleton came and has gone. It's kind of then we've got others coming back to fitness gradually. We've missed Max Bird horribly. I think any team in League One would miss Max Bird horribly. I think he's comfortably one of the most stylish and complete midfielders at this level. And I think once now that he's fit again, fingers crossed, he'll start to make a big influence. So I think the squad if everyone is fit, is 100% is stronger, but we haven't seen the fruit of that yet because of the injuries and they have been a real concern and fingers crossed they're starting to ease up now and if we can get Joe Ward back in particular, uh, that'll help. And John Jules, Warren mentioned, I think, you know, he's really keen to see him back because he will hopefully bring a different element up front, which we do badly need. So I have a little bit of sympathy. I am, I have been quite frustrated this season. Um, I would say when we're talking about a year on, there's a nice little touch is that Exeter City is the next home game and that comes a year and a day after we played them last at home. And in that game, I think we drew nil-nil. We certainly drew the game. So it's a nice yardstick that to say, are we faced exactly the same opposition? Are we actually any better or not? Can we knock them over this time? Like we were saying, at the minute we are stronger, but you look at the people that are out of contract as well next year and what would the squad look like in a year's time as well? because a lot of those players that we bought in last season are out of contract. Will they want to stay in League One if we don't go up? Warren has been intimating as well about, because he puts his foot in his mouth, doesn't he, sometimes? And he says sometimes, you know, there's players here that are on big contracts and I can't get to leave. But that being said, if we don't get out of this league, it's going to need surgery again and who we're going to be able to bring in. So hopefully with the strength in depth, this is the year. Please, Derby, please. I don't fancy Carlisle away again. Well, you know, you don't have to go to Carlisle away every season, Phil, but I guess <laughs> <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. 
the next two windows are really, really important because last over the summer, Warren talked about how he he admitted and he felt that he didn't do enough in the January window last time. So I'd like to think that's not a uh, a mistake, if you like, that will be repeated. Um, I think he will understand that there might be. You know, it might be really important to bring one or two in just to keep the impetus going, especially if we go into that that window and form us t- upticked a little bit and we're in the top six, or especially, or even if we're not, if we're not, we're definitely going to need to do something um, more radical as well. But then next summer, like as Phil mentioned, you know, quite a quite a very important group of players won't won't be in contract anymore, and at that point will become a really key juncture to kind of renew the squad. But obviously. If we've come mid-table in League One, does Paul Wonk get to continue for another season? Probably not. And if we get promoted, which at the moment doesn't feel that likely, but it's very much possible, then it's a whole different profile of player that you need and a very different challenge. So, But fundamentally, Warren needs the results now to get himself to the position to earn the right to to be making those signings and continuing to shape the squad as he sees fit. But he's got to get, you know, it's a work in progress, but you've got to get the results to carry the fans with you along that journey. Otherwise, people just get disaffected and and, and unhappy and, and just cut, you stop seeing where you're going with it and stop seeing the direction. So he desperately needs a home win sooner rather than later we need to fix the home form and if we can do that and continue to pick up points away which we did really really well then hopefully we'll start kicking up that league i mean to be fair we've got a game in hand on two of the teams above us and if we win it we go above them so it's you know it's there or thereabouts just bubbling under uh, and we've just got to find that formula to just improve by five ten percent and then hopefully in the window we'll have a couple more additions and some players coming back to fitness and and it'll start to motor what could possibly go wrong (laughs) anything and everything as we know uh yes a lot to consider for the uh, international break but we wanted to leave you with this one some rare breaking news that we're actually up to date with on steve bloom was washing for this episode but uh wayne rooney phil is back in the English dugout in uh, English football. He's been named the new Birmingham City manager, replacing uh, one another former Derby player in uh, John Eustace, who was given his marching orders at St. Andrews. Uh, so Rooney won 24 of his 85 games in charge of Derby, although we all know what the context was, the embargo and the points deduction. He did prevent relegation by uh, a single point, in 2021, as we remember, um, or there were, of course, the legalities of other teams being deducted points. And uh, without the points deduction, the following season, when Derby did go down, Derby would have finished 17th, I think I calculated once. But even with all that, it's a very interesting appointment, isn't it? I know that Gary Cook is involved there now, who is, of course, connected to uh, Rooney and was connected to the, the failed Chris Kirchner bid. But what did you make of it when you saw the news? Do you think Rooney has it in him to to maintain a championship promotion charge as Birmingham are sitting sixth at the moment? I mean, we'll see. I, I smell a rat with that Gary Cook thing. I think the Birmingham owners, are they're American, aren't they? And they're going for a bit more razzmatazz. Like you say, Gary Cook's involved and he was involved with the Kirchner thing. So that just stinks to me. Um, Rooney... I much preferred him to Lampard. He was less self-entitled and less self-absorbed and he was a good statesman at a dark time for Derby. But let's be honest, the football that we were playing, which was quite attractive and good fun to watch in the season that we went down, Rossinia was the brains behind it, wasn't he? And uh, Rooney was, like I say, he was the he was the shot front and Rossinia was doing all the work behind it. Who we'll have as his assistant, how we'll do without Rossinia. He's not really pulled up any trees in America, has he? And poor old John Eustace, really, because he was doing a fine job there. Yeah, Ollie, let's put some respect on, on the Eustace name here. It's uh, incredibly harsh on him, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I just think he's been treated disgracefully. I think it's an, a, a shocking decision. It's it's one of those ones that just doesn't make any sense. And from what I can gather, the Birmingham fans aren't happy about it. Uh, and why would you be? You know, they were sixth in the table. Birmingham have been crap for years. Uh, and all of a sudden, you've got a manager goes in and there and, and gets them sorted out. And then they asked him for a big name 
purely on the kind of uh, I get it. Well, you've got a Gary Cook in there who's he's all about the marketing dollar, isn't he? And he's all about the brand awareness. And it's not it's not football decisions. These are not football decisions. These are marketing and brand decisions, which is utter nonsense. Um, and Eustace has been treated completely unfairly. He will. I'm sure there will be clubs very much lining up. To, to pick him up after the job, the work that he's done there, because Birmingham City sixth in the table, no right to be there whatsoever. His last game was beating West Brom 3-1. You know, that would have been like uh, a coach beating Forrest uh, in the in the East Midlands derby and then getting the elbow because they fancied... It's just, it just doesn't make any sense at all. So, yeah, really, really sorry for Eustace. You know, we have people on our WhatsApp going, well, he's available. I mean, you know, it's kind of, there will be like, you know, clubs will be, will, be, will be definitely looking at him. I think it's interesting what happens when Birmingham play Hull because then we'll see who was you know, who was the best coach out of Rudy and Rossini. Um We had that weird situation where there was the kind of gang of four for a while, didn't they? And then they, obviously they put Rooney at the front of the four. But yeah, Rossini was key and he's done a very good job at Hull. I'm not sure exactly where they are at the table, but last I checked, they were a top six. I don't know if they still are, but again, no divine right to be there by any stretch. And he played attractive football. He'd done quite well at Derby. And you know, there was it was a harsh decision, arguably, to sack him when when closed, Klaus did, or, or not make him permanent, uh, I should say, because he was interim. I think it's going to end badly. I, I don't see it. I mean, I might be wrong. Wayne might show an immense aptitude, but I just don't think it's going to work. I think he'll be gone before the end of the season and then they'll be in a right mess. I hope I'm wrong. But Let's see what happens in the uh, in the absolute basket case that is the championship. But we're going to leave it there for now on Steve Bloomer's washing. As we said, international break coming up. So we will return in a couple of weeks or so. I will, uh, I'm actually on parental leave right now, believe it or not. So my international weekend will be largely... Uh, nappy changing based and fetching infinite amounts of snacks for my four-year-old daughter uh ollie any big plans for the uh, international weekend when derby i'm playing i can never remember it just all goes by in a blur chris i'm in a similar situation to you i've got well i've got two young children and so basically we just charge around after them and uh that's about it really so yeah i'm sure we'll be doing something for- oh well actually we're getting ready to go to spain so this is a quiet weekend but we go to spain in the half term week in Leicester. So it's the half term week here and we will be going to get a few days of sun. Um, so if I bump into Raul Albentosa, I will give him a massive wave and I will also <laughs> grab him for a selfie and post it to you on uh, Twitter, on X. I absolutely look forward to that happening. Uh, <laughs> Phil, an absolutely assured debut. I can't think of any particular debutants who I can rank in Derby County terms, but uh, if I could... That would be very professionally done. So we will definitely have you back for another one. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, cheers for having me. I'm racking my brain for a a debut now. I think Pesky Salido at home to Rotherham, wanting a 1-0 win, got the winner. Magnificently niche, 17-year-old reference. I hugely enjoy it. It would have now, wasn't it? About 20 years old, 20 years ago, that, I think. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic stuff. We'll be back soon. So, Phil, thanks for your time. See you soon. Cheers, Chris. And Ollie Wright. Thanks again, sir. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, lads. (laughs) 